So welcome to the next episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? And today we are joined by Paul Skinner. Paul is the founder of Marketing Kind, the founder of Agency for the Future, and he is the author of two brilliant books, both of which I have in my hands, which you can't see, but Firstly, Collaborative Advantage, How Collaboration Beats Competition as a Strategy for Success. And we're going to be touching on some of that today. And also more recently, The Purpose Upgrade, Change Your Business to Save the World, Change the World to Save Your Business. Paul, it is an absolute joy to have you finally on the podcast. I'm I'm just so thrilled to be here. I, I can't say how much appreciation I have for the way that you approach uh, planet saving marketing with such genuine inquiry, which I think in such an uncertain world is, is really the, the truest form, the most important form of, of leadership that we can turn to. Wow. That, that's, that's really lovely to hear. <laughs> thank you. Um, so thank you for that. So let's kick off this podcast with a bit of an introduction, Paul, because um, we've, we've introduced what you're doing and, and what you've founded, but a little bit of an introduction to yourself and some of the background about what um, has compelled you to write the books that you've written and do the work that you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have a few hats, but they all interconnect, at least conceptually. Um, I guess for your listeners, maybe the, the most interesting hat may be Marketing Kind, because Marketing Kind is a, a membership community for marketers and change makers who believe that the world's most pressing problems can also be read as marketing briefs in disguise. So we upcycle our marketing skills in support of pioneering charities and social enterprises and build our own portfolios of social and environmental impacts. We coach and support each other in becoming more purposeful leaders in the day job and people get access to a community of brilliant members in doing that. And most notably, of course, the, the two of you. Um, and we also get to work with some of our heroes in exploring some of the bigger stories that we live and work by and how we can change those for the better. Uh, and in so doing, often reach well beyond the world of marketing to leaders who've progressed beyond marketing. But also, um, you know, you can see marketing as a, a department in a business like finance or HR. You can also see it as a narrative-based discipline alongside other narrative-based disciplines, whether it's history, psychology, fiction, or politics. So yeah. um, we often work with political leaders. We have events later this year with historians, um, social psychologists, and others who, who can really help us to elevate our collective narratives. Um, at the Agency of the Future, that's where I do my, my client work, um, and that's I spend most of my time helping leadership teams to uh, select, define and mobilize around purpose, both externally and internally to increase the level of success that, that they can achieve. Um, and then, of course, um, I write my books, both to share the, the learning from these yeah. activities um, and hopefully make the ideas that I use in them uh, useful to, to a broader audience. I've written two books. Um, the first came out in 2018, and it was based on the premise that as the most important problems we have to solve in business are not problems we can solve on our own, I propose collaborative advantage as a fundamental alternative to competitive advantage. And then most recently, based on the premise that 
um, not only are our problems shared problems, but in in the since collaborative advantage came out, the nature of our problems has become so much more intense and more serious, um, and that therefore we need to achieve a, a purpose upgrade as well as yeah. sharing our purpose, um, and really. I try to develop the notion of purpose as having the potential to be our most adaptive capacity as humans, our most renewable resource in enterprise, and that far from being fixed eternally, uh, a purpose upgrade can be uh, an always available event. And you talk about, you know, the work you do with leadership teams around mobilizing purpose. Mm. And, you know, purpose is something that, in my experience, is is used a lot in the theory and it takes center stage when it comes to strategies and when organizations pull their strategies together and look at what they're going to do and how they're going to get there. And it kind of falls short when it comes to the action. It's, it seems to be you know, let's all focus on 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 purpose when it comes to why do we exist, and, and and then that goes in the drawer, and it kind of I feel like it, it, it people don't go back to it throughout their sort of their implementation and execution stage. So why do you, why do you think that is, and and how do we ensure that purpose remains the core reason for being because it has it has fallen away, hasn't it? Um. So there's so much in there to un- yes. unpack. I'd say, first of all, there's something in the way people approach the question, why do we exist, which is overly static. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how do we tell the story of what we are in a way that appears purposeful? Um, I came across a, a line in a in a song recently, if you're looking for a purpose, then no purpose will you find. Um, I think we really need to root um, purpose in solving important problems, developing meaningful solutions and reaching um, inclusive, worthwhile outcomes that mobilize everyone we need in pursuit of that purpose. I think there are many reasons um, beyond that why we tend to fall short. I would say, first of all, much many of the ideas that we turn to in, th- in trying to achieve purpose level change fall short of the mark of redefining what we do in the first place you know csr is a is a can be worthwhile but it doesn't change the business model that we're operating on mm. um esg incredibly important but just because we can be sustained doesn't mean we're necessarily solving important problems so you get businesses like british american tobacco getting very high yeah. esg yeah. rate things. Um, stakeholder capitalism, it's important to benefit all of our stakeholders, but unless we're pursuing a generative purpose in the first place, that boils down to just being a balancing act, like a, a better work-life balance that is intrinsically good, but doesn't change what you're doing in the hours that you're at your desk. Um, I think, secondly, um, there are many psychological reasons why we fall short you know, apart from that sort of lacking thoughtware in genuinely renewing our purpose. Um, and I think it comes down a lot to the purpose that we've pursued so far. You know, purpose is most fundamentally the story we tell ourselves of what better looks like. And like all of our stories, you know, we can only hold one in our minds at one point. So mm. rapidly, that story of purpose, we relegate to our subconscious in order to get on with it. The challenge then becomes when yesterday's solutions become today's problems. And that's why I think we need to not think about purpose. We need to think about repurposing and upgrading our purpose. We need to develop purpose as a dynamic uh, capability. Um, Because otherwise, the previously valuable 
lens, uh, conscious lens of purpose that we use to focus our perception and direct our actions becomes an unconscious set of blinkers that, that blinds us to more important realities and can prevent important action. You know, it's why we respond badly to threats we haven't experienced before. It's why more people uh, there were more excess fatalities in the Twin Towers from people going too slowly down the stairs because they didn't fully understand the, the imminent danger rather than from knocking each other out the way. Um, and it's why so many organizations end up surprisingly fragile in the face of the psychological effects of their sunk costs, the plan continuation biases of their leaders, and the progress traps through which the actions that gave rise to our prior success are the very things stopping us from achieving um, future success and that are leading to um, tomorrow's failures. Um, and then, of course, there are just so many of the stories we tell ourselves about purpose that are rooted in that sort of static nature, like purpose as a North Star, that yeah. even when we are thinking in an enlightened way about purpose, yeah. I think we fall short of understanding it. I mean, President Zelensky, much earlier in the invasion, said, you know, Ukraine didn't seek greatness, but Ukraine has become great. Um, and often we are at our very most purposeful, not when life is orderly and aligned with our prior plans and expectations, but when we respond well, um, uh, faced with the need to completely reprioritize in a way that we hadn't yeah. previously considered. Yeah, and, and that resonates so well with Gemma and I's journey. You know, realistically, we had no idea we would be running a podcast like this. We had no idea you know, when we wrote that book and we learned what we learned and then we set out on this mission to kind of like, whoa, we, we've got work to do. We need to, we've learned stuff, you know, we need to help other marketers. And, and our purpose, as you said, just in that same way, you know, we didn't expect to be doing this. This wasn't a planned endeavor in any way, shape or more uh, and frame. It became a natural purpose and it feels really right it feels like you're on purpose and so taking that back into business then because you know i love this idea of reflecting and thinking about the biggest problems that mm -hmm. we need to solve as a business um and what that really takes for a business because you're absolutely right you know the the idea that a business started out with purpose or this is our purpose and this is what we stand for and this is why we exist just as the business landscape evolves and everything evolves, life evolves, that has to evolve as you're talking about, that agility to, to move in in progress with, with that evolving landscape. But of course, when it comes to business, I suppose there is this love affair with uh, a very intoxicating love affair with profit and and where that has come from in the past and that dependence and that reliance and that stability having the courage to kind of restructure and rethink the whole of your operating of your your whole operational activities and rethinking the way that your business is going to be behave what it's going to stand for is 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 quite courageous wouldn't you say mm. that, that, you know, that where, how do businesses realistically upgrade their purpose? Because we are beholden to what's gone right in the past, as you've said. Um, but there is that financial aspect mm. of, 
you know, not wanting to let go of that stability and those pressures sometimes from external stakeholders that are keeping that pressure on, whereas businesses may want to be progressing, but actually there's this kind of old outmoded thinking that that's worked in the past, that's what we need to do because we are risk averse and we want to retain what we've had in the past. Yeah, Um, so I think that in many ways we get to the heart of why marketing needs to be more ambitious Mm. um, in terms of the leadership role that it plays in organisations. I think we've developed a sort of Stockholm syndrome where we've become too beholden to um, the demands of an ever more financialized business world. Yeah. And something that we always have to remember is that numbers um, are devoid of context. And it's really the ideas, the contextual thinking, the stories of meaning, purpose, the ideas, the relationships that um, those numbers are extracted from that are the the source of future value creation. So a, a business that looks successful today but where the stories its stakeholders are, are telling each other yeah. uh, are falling apart is actually not valuable. It's it's on its way to becoming a stranded asset. Yes. Whereas a business even that has, you know, maybe struggled, maybe it's pre-revenue as a startup, but if there is enough belief amongst its stakeholders that there is a story worth acting on um, in unison, um, then you achieve what, what Tim Smith from the Eden Project has described to me as the Tinkerbell effect, where if enough people uh, believe in a story and see themselves as part of that story, then that story is going to become true. Yeah. Um, perhaps the most inspiring business leader I've ever spoken to, Fika Sibisma, who um, is the um, honorary chair of uh, of DSM and who was the CEO of DSM during its most dramatic transformation that, that I write about quite extensively in the book, has told me that um, if you want to fish in another part of the ocean, it means you have to lift anchor even while you could still fish in the current part of the ocean and that's what takes the courage and you have to do it then because if you wait until that's no longer the case you do so in conditions of financial distress you don't do it under your own terms Um, and so I I think that's very important Um, and then businesses can do this I mean one failure and one success Kodak um, epically and legendarily failed Um, when we moved from film to digital photography. But what's interesting is, who who invented digital photography? Kodak. (laughs) They were just (laughs) unable to repurpose their organization around that opportunity because they had so much momentum. And so their prior purpose was acting through them and turning them into the puppets of their prior actions rather than the authors of their own future change. On the other hand, you have a business like DSM that's managed to go from being a coal mining business to a sustainable food business working to fix the world's broken food system, largely under the leadership of of Fika Sibisma, because he had the courage to say to his board, you know, the world doesn't need what we're doing at the moment. I don't think that we can uh, last forever. Um, evolution favors not the biggest, the strongest, the wealthiest, but those who can best adapt. And so we need to look at long-term human need and root our future um, in developing uh, valuable solutions to that need. Yeah, and I love that in in your book when you talk about um, 
that that case study uh, and and how that actually the rewards that came from that the not only just the you know everybody moving with that purpose upgrade and everybody excited about being part of solving this bigger ill a, a big problem for the world around food security and food production but but actually their share price increased something like 13 times or something wasn't it you know mm. so it was kind of that the idea that good business is good for business yeah yeah, and that was very important to to Fiker. Um, he actually took over as CEO at, at a relatively young age, um, and he'd been taught in business school that the purpose of business is to maximise profits, mm. and he felt that was a, a short sighted story, um, and that leadership um, meant um, developing a much bigger story of meaning and purpose, and a, a story of contribution, whereby at the end of a career, at the end of a day in a career, we can say that you know the, the world has changed in some way for the better as a result of our actions. I think it's I really love that piece around around repurpose that you talked about because you know as, as we were saying, the the world moves forward, your life moves forward, things evolve, things change. I mean, look at the landscape we're in now. Who'd have ever thought, you know, three or four years ago, we someone would sit there and say, right, in four years' time, this is what it's going to look like. You'd tell them they were crazy, wouldn't you? So I think that whole piece around repurpose is really interesting because a lot of organizations continuously go back to that strategy deck at the start and say, right, where's our North Star? And it's almost like it's a fixed point. But I think your book talks about how how that can change. So, I mean, if an organization was going to start to consider a purpose upgrade, what sort of things would would you would you advise them to do? I think the the first thing is that there's a mindset shift. Um, You know, there there is a a French author, André Gide, and he taught the notion of disponibilité à l'accueil, which which means sort of being disposed to welcome emergent change and to lean into it. You know, because a lot of work on purpose falls short because we skip straight to what is our purpose as if it's an act of introspection, whereas actually purpose is born from the nature of the problems that we solve for our stakeholders in the first place. Um, And I would say, so the, the first thing is a mindset shift. I think secondly, cognitively, it's helpful to have concepts you can turn to. I mean, you know, it's a, a long time ago now, but the very idea of a designated driver made it much easier for somebody to go on a night out with their friends and not drink. And instead of being the boring one, they were the thoughtful and helpful one. Yeah. And so similarly, the notion of a purpose upgrade, I hope is something that people can turn to and make their own, even beyond the particular frameworks that I propose in in the book. Um, And then it's a very extensible notion um, in that you can apply a purpose upgrade to any dimension of a business. Um, So there are many things we think are fixed in stone. I mean, there's the Groucho Mark line, Mark's line, those are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. Um, But actually, even a company's values can change because what about us as humans? Do we have the same values today that we did when we were teenagers? Mm. Might we have experienced some further growth by the time we look back on our lives as a whole. Yeah. Um, ownership, you know, you think that ownership is is we do what the owners actually ownership changes. I mean, we've obviously yeah. seen the example of Patagonia uh, being effectively donated to a fund for nature, but you know, a yeah. startup might enrol a backer who brings particular.
particular credibility and reach um, yep. within the domain that they're acting in. Um, we might share ownership across employees. Um, so every dimension of a business is susceptible to a, a purpose upgrade because in a human world, you know, our purpose is never perfect and we're never perfectly aligned around our purpose. So these um, these um, dimensions of our activity are always potentially susceptible to an, an upgrade. And I describe a purpose upgrade as an always available event. It's always available for that very reason that in, in a human world, it is <laughs> susceptible to upgrade, but also an event because if we change direction constantly, you end, you end up not going anywhere. Um, so it's the, the yeah. right balance between um, uh, looking out at our circumstances, looking in at the response we can make to our circumstances and maintaining an adaptive fit over time. Yeah. yeah. And so that agile, it's much more agile, dynamic approach, isn't it, to the, rather than this fixed approach. So yes, this I suppose that that mindset and and that response aspect, you know, how is this having that more curious, I suppose, as you say, adaptive, it's a case of how is this going? How is this working? Not that you're fixed and and chained to that, but that you're you're going to test things almost, you Mm. know, and 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 see how see how this plays out to, to find the right the right upgrade. Um, and so I suppose you could have a purpose upgrade that's upgraded and that's upgraded and it just keeps just mm. keeps going till you optimize it to a way that it, it keeps yeah. working. It may be sort of uh, purpose as some it, 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 through seeking rather yeah. than just finding. So because it just listening to you earlier in in, in the conversation, um, when you first took an interest in sustainable marketing, you couldn't have known where it was going to end up with the first book, let alone the book that you're working on now and how it's taken over your lives. And the the purposefulness has come from a genuine search. Yes. Um, and the willingness to follow where that path leads. Um, you know, we never have an infinite number of pathways available to us. We have a certain number of pathways that are affordances of the circumstances we find ourselves in and who we are and what our capabilities are. Yeah. Um, and so it's about finding the best pathway we can, yeah. knowing that any destination on that pathway is actually <laughs> not the terminus, um, but is um, one stop uh, along the way to, to further stops that are not yet visible to us ahead yeah Yeah, I definitely agree I'd say I've personally I've been through a purpose upgrade that I I didn't see coming and I think it was as you say initially it was about sort of I wasn't looking for a purpose um, but I never really knew what my purpose was Um, but through through going into this world of sustainability through through finding things and now through proactively seeking things because you want to learn more, you want to understand more, because you want to help solve this huge issue that we're facing. Um, it becomes, you know, the, our purpose remains, you know, very much the end goal is to try and change how people and business operates for a more sustainable future. But ultimately, your purpose kind of evolves and 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 moves forward with you as you're as you're mm. seeking those opportunities, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and just coming back to, you know, you, you talked about the role of market, marketing and marketing uh, playing a, 
taking more of a leadership role. Can we talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit more? Because obviously many of our readers or uh, listeners are, are from the um, marketing landscape. And mm-hmm. and in your book, you talk about, you know, Gemma's just, you know, where, do an, where does an organization start? And you, you talked about the mindset shift and then some of those steps. And you actually have a, a six narratives drivers framework, mm-hmm. don't you? Um, which... Uh, you know, marketing has a role across that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, the first observation to make there is that that narrative mm. is ultimately what what is most important. Yeah. Um, so you know, if you think of money, for example, um, you know, over ninety percent of the world's money doesn't even exist in in a physical form. It's just numbers on servers. Yeah. Um, uh, but of course, it is the ideas, the trust, and the relationships around those numbers that make those numbers actually mean something. Yes. And so, if we talk about marketing and leadership. I think one of our greatest challenges economically is that um, since approximately the 1960s, we've fallen into a logic of ever greater financialization. And the trouble with looking at numbers only is that you end up saying, well, what we want is the orange, what we'll leave behind is the peel. Um, But you can't grow oranges outside of the peel that nourishes and protects them Um, and so I think in marketing you know there are there are two ways that you know I I think we need to overcome the Stockholm syndrome with regards to finance so what we don't want of course is marketing that doesn't contribute to the business that employs the marketer and to the stakeholders who work with and depend upon and trust that business but (laughs) just as there are you know, Socrates said there are two types of ignorance. There's the ignorance of just, you know, stupidity, but then there is the ignorance of knowing how little you know. And so similarly, you know, there are two types of non-conformity with finance. One is just not contributing. And so we don't want that, but we do want marketing to take responsibility for supplying, developing much bigger stories of meaning and purpose that take stakeholders to a better place. Otherwise, we do end up with the financialized logic of efficiency at the expense of effectiveness, which always ends in death in the end. You know, in the same with literally with the NHS, for example, um, the policy was followed of having a high rate of bed usage, which is efficient. Um, the challenge came when there was a, a pandemic, when yeah. so many more beds were were needed. And of course, that led to the discharge to assess uh, approach and people being sent to to care homes that were not equipped for 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 containing covid and so it led to huge numbers of um excess mortality um so the most important thing is narrative you know behavioral science shows that we're drawn to a good life story over a good life because a good life story confers yeah. evolutionary advantage you know leaders good leaders take their most important decisions on the basis of narrative even if they're aware of the data what's most important is the narrative that makes sense of that data um even in the context of a disaster or an emergency um the direct and unavoidable impacts are usually not as great as the collective cumulative impact of the narratives that determine how we anticipate prepare for and respond to that disaster or emergency it's widely believed that how we responded to world war one 
it's play, made a contribution to there be, being a World War II, whereas yeah. how we responded to World War II um, gave rise to the creation of the United Nations, the architecture of the humanitarian system, yeah. the welfare state, different uh, decades of yeah. economic prosperity. Um, and in terms of those narratives, sorry, this is a long answer, but yeah. um, I would say marketing's role is... Um, you know, often when we think of stories and business, subservient to the finance director, we think that the role of marketing is to tell stories from the business to the customer viewed as a consumer. Yeah. Um, in reality, it's so much broader than that because the most important stories are the stories our stakeholders tell each other. Yeah. So as marketers, I think we need to curate the stories that bring positive change to all our stakeholders and scaffold those stories with the value propositions and meaningful exchanges that make those stories consequential. Mm. Um, and so we need to get better at not just storytelling, but story listening. listening. You know, what are the stories mm. our stakeholders are telling each other? Story finding, you know, where are there anomalies in the way that people are mapping their existence in the world where we yep. can change those maps to lead to better outcomes for people? Story tuning, how do we align the interests of different stakeholder groups, not just thinking about customers because we're marketers, but thinking about all of our stakeholders. Yeah. Um, story editing, how we can elevate the stories people are telling about themselves um, such that they can achieve self-perpetuating positive change for themselves. Um, and then, of course, we need to tell stories that we invite our stakeholders to step into and we need to live up to those stories and make sure that, you know, as Seth Godin told us, if you do enough mission action, the mission statement writes itself. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, indeed. Now, we knew this conversation was always going to be a good one. And with so much to talk about, we wanted to make sure we didn't miss a thing. So, with Paul following in the footsteps of John Grant, we decided to turn this episode into a two-parter. Be sure to tune in again in two weeks' time, where we'll continue the conversation and pick up where we left off. (laughs) 